Welcome back, my friends. Today, <laughs> we're going to further explore that evil called money. This is going to be a, almost the, con the conclusion of, maybe you could say, a portion of the introduction to Shara B'tachon. We opened with the idea of reliability to be found only in Hashem. Now that's a sum zero game, sole reliance. We talked about this in episode seven, episode eight. And then we went into greater details. Rebbeinu B'chayi began to provide us with a series of verses, scriptural verses, psukim, which communicate the prophetic tradition that we have been given about the importance of betochen. Yesterday, money never sleeps. We talked about the transitory nature of money. And because having money today doesn't mean you'll have money tomorrow, to place one's security, to rely on money, is actually a really foolish thing to do. So we shouldn't be relying on our own intelligence. That's folly. We certainly shouldn't be relying on our own strength. We should be a seeker of, of Hashem. And we should place our betochen, our trust, only in Hashem. Now, very interestingly, Rabbeinu Bachaya spends, I would say, a larger amount of time. He devotes more ink to debunking people's trust in money. Probably because, for many, it is the single greatest challenge. So many people feel that they are safe and secure and tranquil as long as there's money in the bank. And they place their trust in that. And if there isn't money, then they live with anxiety and uncertainty and fear. But all of this is misguided. And as we talked about the notion that you could wake up, go to sleep at night, a very wealthy person, and wake up in the morning entirely impoverished. Now, Rabbeinu Bachaya continues to press the subject. He says, even if the money doesn't take flight, even if the money stays with you, it still shouldn't be the thing you trust in. That should not be providing you with a sense of security. It shouldn't be giving you tranquility. Because having money actually means nothing. You know, in the, in the book of Kohelet, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon in his wisdom, disparages the accumulation of money and people who seek possessions for the future. This is especially true in the fifth and sixth chapters of the book. And as Shlomo HaMelech criticizes the pursuit of money, because people will mortgage their present, their very life, for what we would call an undefined purpose. They think that they're doing this just to get some money. And then, ah, then they're going to be happy. Then they'll be content. 
then they'll be, as I said yesterday in Yiddish, farzichert, guaranteed that life is going to be great. It's really not so. You don't need verses to know that it's not so. Philosophers have come to the same conclusion by simply analyzing the human condition. But as we emphasized yesterday, the reason we have a prophetic tradition, psukim, verses in the Torah, is so that we will make the most of life. Hashem wants you to be happy. I know so, because Hashem says in His Torah that He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to serve Him wholeheartedly. Of Dehu, believe of Sholem. And the only way you can serve Hashem wholeheartedly is if you are besimcha uvetuvlevav. If you find a sense of happiness and satisfaction in serving Hakadosh Baruch Hu. If you're unhappy, if you're miserable about life, or miserable about your circumstances, the situation that Hashem has placed you in, we can be certain you will not serve Hashem properly. Now, I know what you're thinking. You didn't ask to be put in those circumstances. You didn't ask for the present challenges of situation. And truth be told, sometimes Hashem puts us, Hoyalesia, into some really awful situations. And there are times when sadness and misery are not really optional. But for the most part, rich people aren't any happier. Poor people aren't any sadder. People who have plenty and luxury and the fulfillment of their life's dreams aren't per capita any happier. Happiness is a choice. That's why it's part of Avodat Hashem, because anything that's part of Avodat Hashem is a choice that we must make. The things that are legislated or come our way from on high, that's not part of Avodat Hashem. It's not part of our service to God, because we can't choose those. We choose how to react. We choose how to respond. We choose how we face the circumstances. And it's within our purview, almost always, to serve Hashem with joy. So with this in mind, the prophetic tradition tells us, do not make the mistake of placing your trust in money because placing your trust in money is folly even if you hold on to the money. Let's take it from the actual text of the Shara Betochem. Rabbeinu B'chayi continues. Even in the event that you might actually hold on to all of the money, Hashem can withhold you from enjoying the money. Kasher Omar HaChacham is the wisest of people. HaChacham, the wise man. This is Shlomo HaMelech says. And here, Rabbeinu B'chai refers to the book of Ecclesiastics, Kohelet, in the very beginning of the sixth chapter. The sixth, sixth chapter begins 
with Shlomo HaMelech talking about an evil that he has seen under the sun. And he says it's, <laughs> it's a widespread, pervasive phenomenon. As, as Rashi says in his commentary on the notion of that this is Rabbahi, Al Ha'adam, Rashi says, Baharbe Bnei Adam. Not everybody, but many, many people fall into this trap. And the trap is, in Rabbeinu Bachaya's words, speaking about property, honor, a person who lacks nothing for himself, has anything he desires. And yet, the verse says that despite the unlimited potential to live a good life, God does not grant him the opportunity to, proverbially speaking, eat or consume it. That's a euphemism for benefit. You can't eat it. Imagine having delicious food, being very hungry, and not being able to eat. How torturous would that be? Imagine the food being right in front of you. Your, your, your hands are tied, and you're not able to go over to the food. It would be maddening. Shlomo HaMelech says, a person could have everything before him. All the wealth, all the honor, all the glory. Everything people want, yearn for, crave. And yet, Hashem doesn't allow you to enjoy it. And the person dies before he can fulfill his dreams or his ambitions. The Pasa goes on to say, and instead of somebody else might consume it, but Rebbeinu Bechaya doesn't focus on the notion of somebody else consuming. He focuses on the idea, don't trust your money, because having it is actually a guarantee for nothing. People will say, I'll be happy. I'll be peaceful and calm. I'll experience an inner tranquility. If only I could have some money. Then I'd be certain. My future would be guaranteed. Presumably, when people spoke about their future, they're talking about being happy, being satisfied, you know, having the things that, that people want. Everybody wants to be happy. The pursuit of happiness is something that humankind has been seeking at least since the days of Aristotle, or at least it's documented for that long. It's a billion-dollar industry. <laughs> How to find happiness. Every few years, somebody else writes yet another book with another theory of how to find happiness. But the Torah gives us lasting and eternal advice. And many people think that money will buy them happiness. So they trust in money. Rabbeinu B'chai says, trust in Hashem. Only God is worthy of our betochen. Now, you might ask the question, Theologically speaking, why would God give somebody the money if he's not going to let him use the money? Like almost what's the purpose? What's the point? And I don't know if this is the primary thrust 
of Shara Betochen. It's almost like an, almost a, a, a sidebar. But since it feeds into the primary thesis, and since Rabbeinu Bechaya will use the platform of this question to introduce you to additional verses, he kind of raises the theological conundrum. So, assuming that God does everything for a purpose, and we believe he does. So why did he give this person money if he's not going to allow him to use the money? What's, what's it about? So he says, The money will be with him as a deposit. A deposit, you know, a, a, a deposit, a picadon, the way it's understood in Torah syntax and literature, is not something you necessarily make in the bank, but rather it's an object or maybe a piece of real estate or money that you give to somebody else for safekeeping. There's a unpaid consignee, Hashem Archinom. There's a paid consignee, Hashem Socha. The object that's entrusted into their care is called a picador. So Rabbeinu Bachaya says, this wealth, it will remain under the trust or care of this individual as a picodon, as a deposit. He will in turn guard it from harm, or that which could diminish it. Until Hashem sends the money to the proper recipient, to the one that he intended the money for. In other words, the wicked person, the Rasha, will simply serve a purpose. Hashem intends to send the money to the righteous, and He sends it to the hands of the wicked. We believe that everything that unfolds in this world is Hashkocha Pratis, is by divine design. And that, as the Gemara puts it, Harbe Shluchim Lamokim. There are many, many messengers that God might choose to send. They may not be the messengers that you expected. You may not choose to recognize that it's from Hashem. But we, as people of faith, will simply see these things as a message from Hashem or a gift from Hashem. And there's like a, a ridiculous story that illustrates this point. A young man married and... Um, he was observant and pious, but, but he didn't seem to be able to put the pieces together. And his father-in-law was supporting him, but he was very unhappy about it. And at a certain point, in great frustration, he said to his son-in-law, you and your religious pursuit is taking up too much time. You need to work harder at making a living, and uh, I'm not going to be augmenting your salary anymore. I'm not helping you anymore. You need to figure this out by yourself. And uh, the young man smiled and said, okay, Hashem will help. And the father chuckled and he said, really, Hashem will help. Ha! When I stop helping, let's see if Hashem will still help. Anyway, the story goes that things got from bad to worse. And the father-in-law or grandfather saw poverty and deprivation and he couldn't take it. And so he went to the local grocery and he filled up a huge box filled with all kinds of goodies. 
and he dropped it off at the front door. And then he went far away to watch and see what would happen. <laughs> the door opens, the son-in-law comes out, and he sees a box full of goodies, and there's all his hungry children who have what to eat. And he says, Oi, Rabbeinu Shalalem, master of the universe, thank you for providing us with sustenance. And the father-in-law screams out from down the block where he's hiding behind the mailbox, You idiot! It's not from God, it's from me! <laughs> and the man says, Rabbeinu Shalalem, and look who you chose as your messenger! <laughs> It's a ridiculous story, but it does give us a little bit of, of a faith perspective. We see everything as a shliach from Hashem. The person may not be kind. The person may not be well-intentioned. They may have made the wrong choices, and they will have to pay or answer for that. But as far as we are concerned, anything that comes our way is ultimately, it's a message from Hashem. That's the way God, Almighty God, wanted it to be. And we are responsible for the choices we make not for the choices that somebody else makes. So everything is from Hashem. Hashem decides that this righteous person will need to receive a certain amount of sustenance, so the wicked simply becomes his unwitting and possibly unwilling guard. He's providing the safekeeping until the right time comes. Another silly story, and then we'll move forward in the text. I'm sharing this you know, partly just to lighten the mood a little bit, because this is a heavy subject, but also because sometimes with numerous anecdotes, you can find nuggets of profound truth. This fellow is in a, in a town that's being inundated with floodwaters, and people are abandoning. Everybody's abandoning town. And they say, we need to leave. He says, no, 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 I trust in God. I'm not going anywhere. I have absolute betochen. Hashem will provide for me. I'm not leaving. So he remains in his house and the block floods. And he has to go from the first floor to the second floor. And, and in the second floor, a neighbor comes by in a rowboat. And he says, climb out the window and get into the boat. We need to get out of here. The, 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 the waters are going to rise. And the man says, no, 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 I don't need your help. Hashem is going to save me. I don't, I don't need anybody's help. And the neighbor shrugs and rows his way off, and the waters keep rising. And so he ends up on the roof of the house, and this time a chopper, a rescue chopper, comes and throws him a, a, a rope and says, let's pull you out of here, the waters are going to keep rising. And he says, no, absolutely not, I trust only in Hashem. And the story ends, the water keeps rising, and the poor man drowns. And this foolish person comes on high, and he says, God, I trusted in you, I had betochen, why didn't you save me? Shem says, I sent you a rowboat, I sent you a helicopter. So you, you have to know that when things happen, it's not an accident. That is Hashem speaking to us. And in Hashem's, if you will, sense of humor, oftentimes the most wicked of people will deliver the most delightful of gifts. There you got it. You have money. You're not afraid of losing it. You say, well, somebody could wake up poor in the morning, but most people don't. I'll take my chances. I'll follow statistics. Most people who have big bank accounts keep those bank accounts. And I'll be prudent and I'll advise, I'll, 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 I'll be, be, be careful about my investments. I'll invest well and everything's going to be great. Okay, so you're going to have the money. And, and, and it doesn't do anything for you. The commentaries 
on uh, Rabbeinu Bechaya shed some light over here. The Tov Halavonon says, Shomer Oto Min HaPagoyim. He says, who? This wicked person, Shomer HaMamayin, he is watching the money, that no loss should be inflicted. So the harm we speak of is a loss. And then Hashem will send the money through that person possibly to whomever he desires it go. So this is the opening volley in Rebbeinu B'chayez. This is, that's his first point. He makes a statement. He says the pleasure, the enjoyment will be withheld. And he says, As the wise says, as the wise man said, and he introduces Ecclesiastics 6.2. Then he raises another question. And he says, so theologically, why? why? Why bother giving it to him if he's not going to allow him to benefit from or enjoy it? So he says, that's because he's a shomer. Hashem has chosen him to make a fool of him, to mock him, giving him the money. He works day and night to safeguard the money, but he never enjoys it. And in the end, until this gift goes to whomever God intended it for. And here too, he brings a verse. He says, As he said. What is this referring to? This is in the same chapter of Ecclesiastics. He takes us from verse 2. He now takes us to verse 26. And Pasuk Chavav, in verse 26 of the second chapter, Shlomo HaMelech states the following. Where are we here? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the second chapter of Ecclesiastics. Perik Beis Chavav. Over there, it is written. And let me quote to you first in Rebbein Abachai, and we'll take a look inside the Tanakh. He says, V'lachoyte natan inyan lasof. To the sinner, he gave the matter of gathering and of amassing, velichnos. Why? Latet, latov, So that he would be the one to give it to who is good before God. In other words, that you have a person whom Hashem gave wisdom and knowledge and joy, and this way he feels satisfaction, and he's working away. But in the end, in the end, this sinner is going to gather it all together. He's going to ma- amass everything. But it will be given, ultimately, to the person that Hashem wants it to go to. So the property that the sinner has collected will not remain in his real estate portfolio. Instead, it will be given to the one who finds favor in the eyes of Hashem. So let's go back to Koheles. Bays here. 
Because as Rashi tells us, Lichnos velatet letov lefneo elikim, to give it to the one who Hashem desires. As Rashi says, as we see in the scroll of Esther, Haman built this incredible compound that rivaled the royal palace itself. And in the end, the king gave the compound, the entire property, to Mordechai, to Esther and to Mordechai. Atosim Esther as Mordechai abes Esther appoints Mordechai, and it becomes the greatest yeshiva in the world. It becomes the the place of holiness and the place of goodness. And, and that's, of course, the poetic justice that Hashem does. So we had Haman work so hard in building it, and said, Haman, the evil, wicked monster who sought to bring genocide upon the Jewish people, was actually building the offices for the chief rabbinate of the Jewish people outside of Israel until they would all return to Eretz Yisrael. That's what we speak of here. Now, of course, Rashi's example is graphic, and he's speaking, uh, he interprets uh, the verse in a, in a very, if you will, literal kind of fashion, using an extreme caricature of it. It doesn't have to be Haman, and it doesn't have to be Mordechai. Haman is the ultimate evil, and Mordechai is the ultimate good. But we can see this notion playing itself out. Now, the verse is not enough for Rabbeinu Bechaya, because after Ecclesiastics chapter 2, verse 26, he then adds, Ve'omar, and he says, which is how he introduces the next verse of our prophetic tradition, here, sending us off to the book of Job. Eov, in chapter 27, verse 17, states the following, Yochin v'tzadik yilbosh, which means, he prepares, the wicked prepares, however, the righteous wears. So in other words, the wicked, so to speak, assembles the wardrobe, but he never wears it. He buys the garments. That was nice of you. It now goes to the person who is going to don and wear these raiments. Obviously, this is a euphemism and a metaphor. It doesn't mean that you're going to fit into somebody else's suit. Just as eating is euphemistic for enjoying and benefiting, so too the notion of wearing is to be able to utilize the gifts that Hashem gives. Now the truth is that money can't be eaten or worn. It can purchase these things. That is precisely the point. You have the money, but you didn't need it, meaning you never got to buy the things you could enjoy. You never got to actually spend the money and then delight in it. You never got to actually purchase the wardrobe and then wear it. Now the second verse is almost more devastating because it's not only you have the money but don't eat it, which means that you never actually did anything with the money. Here's a person who used the money. He had the garments, proverbially speaking, sewn and prepared. He did everything, but he never even wore it. It's understood, if you think about it, that the verse from Eov is even further in its, in its devastation. You're devastating the, the sinner, this inappropriate person, by saying not only you didn't get to spend the money, you even spent the money, which is more along the lines of Rashi's metaphor for Ecclesiastics too. And in the end, you, you assembled the clothing, but you never got to wear it. 
And when does it happen? Or how does this happen? So Rashi says, then the verse continues and says to us that Kesef Noki Chalak, the money of this wealthy person, is actually going to be divided amongst the innocent. Kaspe Shal Rosh Rashi says, are Lenoki Yichalkenu Akadish Baruchu, are divided up against amongst the innocent who will partake or receive of them. The Ramban Nachmanani says, Yochen Tzadik Yilbush, the he, Yochen he prepares, but the Tzadik is Yilbush, La'achar, Achar of Bemoisai. He doesn't even get to bequeath what he sowed to others. Hashem arranges it that everything goes directly to the Tzadik. Now, it is interesting how Rabbeinu Bechaya quotes both verses. And he quotes them in the order that he does. First Ecclesiastics and afterwards Job, after Eof. Just want to share with you the words of the commentary Marpel and Nefesh, and then we'll go to the commentary of the Patlechem. So the Marpel and Nefesh on the words Yochin, the Tzadik Yilbosh, he says Yochin Rosha, the wicked prepares, the Tzadik Yilbosh, and the righteous actually get to wear or enjoy. The innocent will be the ones to divide the spoils, his money. So the Pat Lechem, commenting on this paragraph in Shara Betochen, says two very important things. Number one, the initial thrust, the initial point being made is that you don't lose the money but you can't benefit from the money either. He says, we're talking about a situation where shnehem kayomim, both are here. Because in the, in the previous verses, we talked about the person going to sleep, but didn't die, but woke up poor. Here, they're both here. Hu b'chayim, he remains alive. V'gam ha'osher yitkayim etzlo, and the wealth is still in his bank account. However, although the money is in hand, you never get to enjoy it. The timona, the, the restraint, Hashem restrains him from enjoying it. He can't enjoy his wealth. And then, and so, he doesn't really read it as a question. He says, matter of factly, it remains then merely a deposit. Let's move on to this notion of Lachote Natan Inyan Lesof, to the wicked he gave the job of amassing or creating the fortune, and then so that Hashem could direct it where he wants it. The Pat Lechem says the following Hare. We can understand from this verse Shahachota Yogeya Harbe. Hashem doesn't make it easy. This Sinner has worked really hard, expended enormous amounts of effort and toil. And yet, he never has a good day. He never benefits from any of it. The righteous benefit instead. The Patlechem says there's a problem with this verse. This verse doesn't fully develop the idea because... It doesn't say 
Shehu ba'atzmo eninenemimenu klal. The verse doesn't say he doesn't get to benefit at all. It says the sinner amasses and the righteous benefits. Maybe the sinner benefits too. Maybe he shares. So therefore, he brings the other verse. Yochin v'tzadek yilbosh. He amasses or prepares, assembling everything, but he never wears it. And as if to say, rak mechin l'tzadek. We could have a situation where somebody not only ends up doing what he did primarily, mostly, or also for others, but entirely for others. Where he never actually enjoys or benefits the fruits of his toil and labor. Einenu nenemimenu klal. Has no enjoyment whatsoever. So the notion of trusting in money from a biblical perspective, from the prophetic tradition, is folly. Because so many people have money and don't enjoy it. With everything, as they say, if they have a little good fortune also. And Hashem has His own interesting way of giving people everything they wanted, but never allowing them to enjoy it. And that you're going to put your trust in? <laughs> That's what's going to give you your security? It's just foolish. It's a thousand percent certain from what we see in the Psukim that that would be a foolish decision to make. So why would you put your trust there? Don't put it there! Because it's not a guarantee of anything. Where should you put your trust? You should put your trust in Hashem. Because if you put your trust in Hashem, that's the only real source of your security, and of your certainty, and of your serenity. And now, Rabbeinu Bechaya goes for what I'll call the kill. He says, not only is money a bad idea for people to put their trust into, because you can go to sleep rich and wake up in the morning and you're poor. The money can take flight and disappear. And even if it weren't to disappear, there's never any guarantee for happiness or satisfaction. Lots of people have the money and never enjoy it. And now, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, you should know as a matter of fact that having that money, not only will it not bring you joy, it will destroy your life. And the only way you'll actually be happy and satisfied is if you live with utter and absolute trust in Hashem Yisbarach. Listen to how things go now. So up until now, we talk about the wicked preparing for the righteous. He's never going to get to benefit from it. He might lose it, retain it or not enjoy it. Now says Rabbeinu Bechaya, Ve'efsher she'yi ha'momen sibas ra'osoi ve'ovdan nafshai. It is possible that the money will be the cause not of your happiness, not of your inner peace and tranquility, but in fact, si basra osoi, 
It'll be the source of your own evil or misfortune. It'll be a bad thing for you. It'll serve ovdan nafshe. It'll serve to be the force that destroys your very life or your very soul. Them is fighting words. You better prove this, Rabbi. He says, oh, I can prove it to you. God told us that this, in fact, could be the case. The Pasuk, Sha'amar HaKosov, and it's interesting that here he emphasizes HaKosov, although he's quoting Ecclesiastics before also. This time he emphasizes that it's a Pasuk, and it's a verse, and I don't know why. Again, it's Ibn Tibbin's translation from its Hebrew, um, from its Arabic original, so I don't know if we can actually read into that. Or maybe we look at Proverbs differently than Ecclesiastics. Sorry, I, I apologize. We're, we're actually staying right in Ecclesiastics. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why this is the case. But at any rate, he says, Yesh ra'achayla. Shlomo HaMelech says there is a sickening evil. That I saw under the sun. And this sickening evil is one that you have in Oisher Shomer Levaolov, that the wealth is in fact kept for his owner. However, it is to his detriment, to his own evil. In other words, not only does he not enjoy the wealth, but Shlomo HaMelech says, furthermore, he doesn't enjoy the wealth because he always anticipates more profit and he's never happy with what he has. But the wealth becomes his very undoing. How does this work? When we say that the wealth is his very undoing, what precisely does that mean? So, let me first take you to the classical commentaries to understand why this Oishir is Shomer Leba'olov Lira'asai. So Rashi, once again, gives us a historical example. There was a Jewish man who was extremely wealthy. He was a slave in Egypt. How did he get so wealthy, huh? How did the slaves get wealthy? They said, well, they left Mitzrayim. Everybody had loads, donkeys loaded with all kinds of gold and silver. Everybody had that. How did this man get wealthier than everybody else? So the Medrash tells us that Yosef HaTzadik buried three treasures. I don't know if this meant in the pyramid, but Joseph buried three treasures. And the first one was discovered by Korach. The second one by a Roman king or Caesar, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, Antoninus, who is said to have discovered the second one. And the third squirreled away for the future for Mashiach. What exactly that means and why we need treasures for the future is a wonderful question. And I actually delivered a lengthy lecture on this some years ago on, on, uh, on the actual Parsha. It talks about Yosef burying these three treasures in Parsha Vayigash. But let's stay focused now. 
So Korach, he won the lottery. Everybody was wealthy. He was fabulously wealthy. He was probably the wealthiest Jew of his time. Prominent guy. First cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu. A Levite. And he was a scholar too. A big scholar. Highly respected. A billionaire, a scholar, fancy lineage. Korach should have... He should have had a wonderful life. But he didn't. In fact, Korach's wealth blinded him. And as Rashi says, Through his wealth, he became arrogant, full of himself. And his end? It's not good. The Yared Lishael. He was swallowed up by the ground. He went into an abyss from which he never emerged. This story is richly documented in the Chumash itself. Parshas Korach. And Korach had a desire for kahuna, for priesthood. And incidentally, that's not even a bad thing. There's even positive elements to Korach's craving and desires. Moshe Rabbeinu identifies, he self-identifies with Korach. He says, I understand you. I also want to achieve the intimacy that incense provides for a neshama, for a soul with Hashem. I also want that, but it's not for us. But Korach was blinded by his wealth. So if you would ask somebody, who was the luckiest man around? The luckiest man. What would the answer be? Well, Korach. He got so lucky, he won the lottery. He found the treasure. He was a billionaire. And it proved to be his misfortune, his very undoing. That you're going to put your trust in? You're going to put your trust in, ah, if only I'll have money, then I'll be calm, relaxed. Then I know my future is guaranteed. Fool! How could you think something like that? The scripture clearly says that the money you have is shomer levo'olov. <laughs> it's kept for you. You didn't lose it. It becomes the source of your suffering, of your misfortune, of your undoing. It is to your detriment. So the notion of, if I had money, I'd be calm. I could trust everything will be okay. is entirely wrong-headed. The money could easily become the thing that ruins rather than builds your life. The Sephorno offers us a more literal interpretation, as if to say, Rashi uses a frame, a historical frame. Korach's wealth brought him disaster and ruin. Okay, you and I are probably not going to be as carried away as Korach. We're not finding the treasures of antiquity, and we're not becoming billionaires. We just want to have a few million dollars. We just want to have a little success in business. We just want to have a... Another few thousand square feet of uh, home and another few cylinders of horsepower in our car and some more virgin wool in our suits. You know, we just want to have a nicer life, uh, a couple of cruises a year, maybe a private plane, and then I'm going to be happy. Then everything will be great. Then I, okay, box seats, right, fine, that too. I've got to have box seats to, to uh, the Air Canada Center and to, and, to, and to the Rogers Center, and then everything's great. That's it, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. 
oh, I thought about it. Actually, you know, I'd like a, I gotta buy a cottage too. Oh, no problem. Okay, I got a cottage too. And I'm throwing a boat. Okay, now, you, now you're good, right? Now, now I made it. Now life is wonderful. Really. <laughs> that wealth can actually be the thing that destroys your life. And the Sephardim says like this. He says, Maybe there'll be bad people who will become jealous of you because of your money. And they will frame you, defame you, character assassinate you, and they'll take your money. And in the meantime, you're busy defending your honor, and you're busy fending off attacks, and you don't even get to enjoy the money because you're so worried about losing it. Or, Lepa'amim, Letzadik es atzmam, Yaziku gambegufai. In order to kind of promote their own case, they might even cause you bodily harm. So here, a lucky, lucky person. They won the lottery. They used to have a quiet, uneventful life. Nobody was jealous of them. Nobody bothered them. Now all of a sudden, they're the envy of many unscrupulous individuals. And they could even cause you harm. Who says wealth is so great? Who says having all the money in the world is so fantastic? Most people are sure say, okay, that's fine. Bring on the money, I'll deal with it. The emet, the, 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 the truth, the Torah truth is that money is not a bad thing. And money can be a wonderful thing. As the Friedrich Rebbe once remarked, they say in Yiddish, Geld is blotter. Freely translated, money is manure. And the Friedrich Rebbe said, if you leave a large pile of it in one place, it stinks to the Himalayan. It stinks to the high heavens. But if you take the manure and you spread it, you distribute it very, very evenly along a wide area, it actually stimulates tremendous growth and it produces a yield. So don't let the money sit in one place. Hashem gave money. Do something with it. Do something positive with it. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. As, as one philanthropist once told me, he said the greatest gift that he's so grateful to Hashem is that not only he's, he was able to give tzedakah, he was able to make what they call in the world of philanthropy a transformational benefaction. When you give $18, $500, $1,800, it's not a transformational benefaction. You're participating along with others, and there's a certain beauty to that. But imagine, if you will, that you could make a transformational benefaction. You could change somebody's life single-handedly. You could change the trajectory of, of a community. You could, you could transform the way a large volume of people are living for the, for the best. That's huge. It's a tremendous privilege. It's a huge zechut. So money can be a wonderful thing, a wonderful gift. Or it can be the evil that devours your very existence. And you choose. Nobody will choose but you. You will choose whether your wealth should be something positive or some people inundated and overwhelmed by the responsibility make the wrong choices. And in turn, it literally becomes a destructive force that devours your life. A lawyer who deals with wills, told me the following story. He said there was a fellow, a fine fellow, 
who befriended somebody. And he was very nice to him. And he went out of his way for him. And one fine day, he gets a notice that this fellow who he befriended and he was kind to, who he thought was a pauper, was actually a very wealthy man without a relative in the world. And he left all of his wealth to this person. And he was asked to meet the executor and they were going to the safe because apparently there was tremendous wealth in the safe. So they came to the bank. This man comes to the bank and they open the safe and there's literally bars of gold. Bars of gold. Like millions of dollars worth of gold. And this person who dressed with torn clothes was a hoarder who never enjoyed his money. Had no friends except for this one person. Can't eat gold. Can't wear gold. Hashem kept it. Goes to this person. Sadly, this person didn't live very long to enjoy the money. A short while after this story, the person, the second person died as well. And the lawyer tells me, that person had two sons. It was a wonderful, close-knit, beautiful family. They never had money and they never fought. He says, now the two brothers don't speak to each other because they're fighting over the inheritance that the father received and never benefited for from the man who never enjoyed his own money. And now these two brothers don't speak to each other. I'm sharing the story with all of the details because I don't know who it is. I don't know any details. I didn't ask him for details. He told me this is a real, actual story that happened in this very city. No. Was it a gift? Was it good fortune? It could have been. Instead, it became the evil that destroyed their life. And that you're going to trust in? That's going to give you security? My friends, if that's what you put your trust in, oy vey, you're in big trouble. So where should you put your trust? In Hashem Yisbarach. Put your trust in the Almighty. Betochen is the way we relate to nothing other than God Himself. And this kind of brings everything full circle. Because if you remember, we, we began this portion of, of, um, of the Shara Betochen by talking about the, the singularity of, of trust. And we said that if a person has trust, the fringe benefit is tranquility. But we said what's required is soul reliance. Because if somebody says, invincible me, as we talked about in episode 7 and 8, if he places his trust in something else, then Hashem removes his divine providence from him. So trust has to be only in Hashem. And as Rabbeinu B'chaya is bringing this section of the Shara B'tachin to a close, he leaves us with the very same message. He has elaborated on the spiritual advantage of B'tachin. Namely, it gives a person the ability to find inner tranquility or ease. What are you worried about? Trust Hashem. He knows what's best for you. He will do what's best for you. An open good, a revealed good. He loves you. Hashem is our Father. 
is taking care of us. The person who relies on his intelligence, on his talents, on his strengths, or heaven forfend, on his money? This will provide no comfort, no security, no satisfaction, and not a shred of happiness. I want to conclude today's episode by delving a little bit more deeply now. Rabbi Yaakov Emden comments on the words, Yochin, he'll prepare. And then, Vitzadik, uh, the Tzadik will wear what he prepares. In other words, that he never gets to enjoy that which he amassed or arranged. And then we talked about this idea that Venoki, that the innocent one, will partake in the division of the money. So Rabbi Yaakov Emden says, there is another verse that underscores and emphasizes the very same thing. So I want to just direct your attention to it before we go back to the verse that we're focused on now. He says, if you look in Proverbs, the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse, it says that the Shlomo HaMalach says there, in, of course, in his wisdom, he says that the good will merit to bequeath an inheritance to their progeny. But the wealth of the sinner is stored. Tzafun, it's squirreled away. And it remains there, reserved, latzadik, for the righteous. Tzafun, latzadik, reserved for the righteous, is chel choyte, the success or the wealth of the sinner and nothing remains for the sinner himself. So that's yet, is yet another verse, which for whatever reason, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quote, but uh, Rabbi Yankiv Emden felt, makes the point in a very, very profound way. Now let's talk, about, let's talk about this verse. Let's talk about this idea of money not only providing security and safety, tranquility and fulfillment, inner satisfaction and happiness, but in fact it being the undoing, the detriment the very destruction of one's life. See Basrasi. So the Pat Lechem says this. Ra'a, which freely translates as bad or evil or detrimental. He says, he ra'ataguf. That refers to what is bad materially. And as the example we saw in the Sephorno, how it can be the source of material misfortune. But the Patlechem adds something very interesting. And perhaps this helps us appreciate Rashi's take on using Korach as the paradigm. He says, V'ulai, it's quite possible that not only will this provide misfortune in a material sense, so the very thing you trusted in, you said, oh, I have money, now I'm secure. When in fact you weren't secure at all. But the Patlechem says, it's possible that it gets much worse. Not only will you not have tranquility or peace of mind, but in fact, it is possible that this will devolve into a situation that will cause not only not only 
the harm of the body or material reality, but ofden nafshe, the loss of soul or life itself. How would money cause that? Ah. Says the Patlechem, Shal because of the nature of money or wealth, it gets to your head. And because it gets to your head, mitga'e, person becomes arrogant, and full themselves. I have money. I am almighty. V'nichshel, the person stumbles because of self-pride, because of arrogance, because of hubris. And what happens is, v'choyte, he then falls into the path of sin. Upoysheya, he rebels, neged HaKadosh Baruch now that's a very weighty statement to make. I guess the Patlechem didn't like rich people, eh? No, Patlechem says, it's not my idea. I didn't say this. The pitfalls of wealth, they're talked about in the Torah. It's right there in Deuteronomy. In the eighth chapter, in the 13th verse, it states, V'chesef v'zohov You'll have enormous amounts of gold and silver. V'rom your heart will become stout with pride. And then you forget the Lord your God. In other words, the wealth that you trusted in, I mean, you had betochen in Hashem, but you said, I have betochen in God and my bank account. And because you trusted in the wealth, and because you gave credence to your affluence, and because you placed stock in your money, in the end, it destroyed your spirit. Forget your body. It destroyed life itself. As we see in the Pasuk. So I want to talk about this Pasuk a little bit because the Patlechem alludes to something quite fascinating when he speaks about the pridefulness and he speaks about how the affluence can turn a person away from Hashem and away from the very purpose of life itself. In essence, what many people think is a great blessing and what could be a tremendous bracha can turn into the greatest curse of all. I want to read to you from the Sefer Mitzvat Godel. This is written by the, a great Tosafist, Rabino Moshe of Kutsi, who set out to document and delineate what exactly are the 613 mitzvahs. And he wrote a book which is called Sefer Mitzvahs Godel, the great book of mitzvahs. Rabbeinu Moshe of Kutsi publishes this book, I don't know, maybe uh, six, seven centuries ago. And he writes the following. Listen to this. Negative mitzvah number 64, he says, He lacha. Be careful. He quotes now from Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Lest you forget your God. He says, what, what, what kind of warning is this? Would indicate God is telling you don't do something. What should you not do? Which sin would this comprise? And he says, This is a Torah warning. That children of Israel should not become arrogant, prideful, and boastful. Kisha HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
When the Almighty grants them goodness. How many people become the recipients of divine largesse and then forget about God altogether? The Yoimru, and they will say, I am smart, I am talented, I made the money. It's my money. I made the money. This is because of my toil. They will not show appreciation for the origin of that blessing. And where does it come from? Because of their arrogance, because of their pridefulness, because the two follow themselves. So the smag says, don't become a Balgaiva. Don't become full of yourself. It's a bad place to be. Pentishkach. That's the meaning of watch out lest you forget. And he says this is found in the very next verse. In verse 12 it says, Pentechal, speaking of the Jewish people, coming into the land of Israel and benefiting in so many ways from Hashem's gifts, from His largest. Pentechal, you eat v'savata and you sate it. And then you have batim toivim, beautiful homes, tibani you build. The Yashavta, you'll settle into these beautiful homes you built. Uvekarcha, v'tseincha, yirbiyon. You'll have flocks that increase and are abundant. V'kesef, v'zov, yirbilacha. And you'll have enormous amounts of affluence and wealth, gold and silver. And then how does the Pasuk finish? And it finishes, v'rom levavecha. You become filled with pride, self-pride. V'shachachta, eshashem alekecha. And then you forget Hashem, your God. The verse continues on later. You say in your heart, I, by my might, my power, I did this. This is big trouble. Moshe Rabbeinu pleads with the Jewish people. Remember the Lord your God. It is the Almighty who gives you that wherewithal and that ability. The valor is not yours. Of course you have to work hard. That's the story of life. Of course you have to make the intelligent investments. That's the laws of nature that we are instructed to follow. Success? That's a gift. You did your part. You created a vehicle and Hashem gave you a gift through it. It's a gift from Hashem. Many will toil and come up empty-handed. Many will work very hard and smartly and not succeed. Omikan says the smag, Don't become arrogant and conceited with the gifts that Hashem gave you. First and foremost, he says, with money. Then he speaks about uh, beauty and wisdom and all kinds of other things too. But he says, still you have to be shvald berach, you have to be very humble before Hashem. Lahidus, shachanone, to be grateful to Hashem, thank Him for what you have. Very interestingly, the Sefer Mitzvah's Godel concludes entry number 64 by sharing a fascinating vignette of how he wrote or developed this treatise. He says, Chishigati lahashlim, I was concluding the, the negative mitzvahs. And suddenly, I had 
I had his dream. Bemarasalila, nocturnal vision. The Balshemtiv once spoke about this. He said, Hashem revealed himself to Rabbeinu Moshe. And he heard, and the, as the Balshemtiv recounts the story, he heard from Hashem. You forgot the main thing. You were all the mitzvahs. You forgot the main mitzvah. Watch yourself. Never forget. The Sefer Mitzvah's Godel writes, I contemplated, I meditated on this in the morning. I discovered that this is indeed a large, a very big and important principle in the reverence and respect that we ought to have before the Creator, before Hashem. And he goes on to quote a Gemara. There's a Gemara in Masechet Sota, where Rav Nachman by Yitzchak says, how do we know that a person, how do we know that a person is forewarned? Hashem says, don't be arrogant, don't be conceited. Where do we know it from? He says, from here. This very verse. And he says, this made perfect sense to me now, because it says, the Gemara says, Rabbi Ovin, as Rabbi Ovin taught Amr Rabbi Eloi, Kol Mokim Shenemar Hishomer and Pen Va'al. Whenever the Torah uses this kind of verbiage, this kind of terminology, a no Elah Mitzvat Lota say, then it's automatically a negative commandment. The Rebbe once spoke about this, and he said, "We have a rule that you cannot paskin. You can't come to a halachic conclusion based on spiritual intuition, and in halachic." Prose or halachic context, dreams cannot, so to speak, elevate nor demote. You don't build things on revelatory experiences. The Rebbe says, but that's why the smag concludes his the dream got him to think. He didn't base his words on the dream, even if he believed it was God Himself speaking to him. He contemplated this and he quotes verses. Back to the Masechet Sota. Back to the teaching of Rabbi Nachman in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak. Based on the teaching of Rabbi Ovin, who, and the, who relays and records the teaching of Rabbi Eloi. So he realized that it actually was something he missed. And that's what he based Allah on. But the Rebbe says, if so, a tremendous question has to be asked. Why didn't the Rambam include this in his list of the negative mitzvahs? If it's God speaking, if this is based on revelation, and then it was from heaven, they wanted the smog to include this, how come the Rambam missed this? How could such a thing be? So this is a, a, a bit of a long rumination here. Shabbos Parshas Ekev, Chafav, the Stalkas Yilul of the Rebbe's father, the Yardzeit, in the year 1953, Tavshin Gimel. Beautiful Arichas where beyond the purview of, of, of the frame, but a, a story of the Baal Shem Tev and a story of the Rambam. And the Rebbe introduces, uses that as a frame to introduce this notion that toxic, toxic spiritual reality or toxic spiritual behavior can muddle the mind and desensitize the heart and disable one from properly discerning and appreciating the Torah truisms. And he says, based on this idea, 
he says that gaiva, that arrogance and pridefulness, actually comes as a result of forgetfulness. A person forgets God and he gets arrogant. But in fact, the verse says the other way around there. The verse was, don't be arrogant, as it says, pentishkach, lest you forget, and then you become arrogant. The Rebbe asks, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't, shouldn't the arrogance make you forget God? Not the forgetfulness make you become arrogant. So the Rebbe talks about the idea of forgetfulness. And he says you should know that the terminology mindlessness, forgotten, is actually code verbiage in the Torah for galut, for exilic dispersion, for being disconnected from Hashem. And we see that in the time of galut, our prayers to Hashem as zechoyer Hashem mehoyolanu, remember Hashem what has happened to us, which is of course a quote from the book of Lamentations in the beginning of the fifth chapter. Or we say, David HaMelech says it in the 74th Psalm, Remember your congregation whom you had acquired. And why does Hashem forget us? Because we forget Him. There's the famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid on the Pasuk, which is found in the 121st Psalm, Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. I gave a class on this, on Tehillim 121, I quote the shadow king. That means that just as the shadow does as you do, there's a shadow play element over here. Hashem mimics your behavior. You forget Hashem, Hashem forgets you. The Rebbe says that's the deeper meaning of the Haftorah of Parsha Seikiv. Vatoimer Tzion, Zion, speaking in the name of the Jewish people, says, Ozavani Hashem. Hashem has forgotten me. Va'adnai shkocheni. Hashem has forgotten us. What's, what's, what's the refrain? The refrain is Hashem telling the Jewish people, this is in the prophecies of Yeshayahu, but the prophet Micha already said, Ami zechorna, my nation, remember me. When we remember Hashem, Hashem remembers us. Do you remember what we talked about much earlier on in the beginning of the series about mindfulness? How Maimonides Rambam explains the idea of our connection to Hashem that is directly linked to our consciousness? And we explain the notion of bitochen along the same lines. When we trust in Hashem, when our minds are filled with the awareness of Hashem and we rely on Hashem, Hashem indeed is taking care of us. When we chas v'shalom, trust in other things, we put ourselves onto a different network. So the Rebbe says that this is the idea of the gaiva. The gaiva, the pridefulness, actually distorts our vision to the point that it brings us to mindfulness, mindlessness. In other words, that money you were trusting on became your undoing because it took your mind away from Hashem. There's a beautiful teaching of the Magad of Mizrich that Rebbe quotes here on the Pasuk Shachoyach Tishkach. You will, when forget, you shall forget a double, a redundant expression. And he says this is similar to the notion of Hashem saying, Hastir Aster, I will doubly conceal. Hastir Aster means Hashem says, when the obfuscation itself is obfuscated, you don't even know that there's a concealment. That's the real concealment. 
It's so well concealed, you don't even know there's anything hidden. You've forgotten so deeply and profoundly, you don't even know you've forgotten anything. Now what happens when you have Gaiva? Gaiva distances us from Hashem as the Gemara Masechet Sota that we just referenced earlier says, Kol ish sheyesh bay gasos haruach. Any person who is conceited and arrogant and prideful, God says, There's no room for me. No room for me. You've locked me out of your world. All other Averot, all other sins that Rebbe says. We have a famous Pasuk HaShoychen Itam, Betech Tumasam. Hashem dwells despite the impurity. But Gaiva, you locked God out. If you lock God out, Hashem is no longer with you. And the Rebbe suggested, based on everything we just talked about, we can understand why the Rambam didn't include this as a mitzvah, because it's not like other sins. Other sins damage a detail. This sin is what you call all-encompassing. It actually takes you out of, proverbially speaking, divine circulation. So in view of all this, the Pas Lechem is linking the words that Abbeinu Bachaya says that it could be that Shlomo HaMelech's words in Ecclesiastics is that it's Shomer Leba'olov, that the money is Lera'asoi. We are made aware of how damaging affluence and wealth can be. And the only way that we can have the privilege of wealth and actually benefit and enjoy it is by remaining connected to Hashem, remaining humble and mindful. And that is what betochen, placing your trust only in Hashem, is really all about. With this, we've concluded elaborating on the first notion, the idea that we can find peace of mind and inner tranquility only by trusting in Hashem and no other possibilities. Bezrat Hashem, in our next episode, we'll look at another benefit that Betochen in HaKadosh Baruch Hu is able to afford us. Thanks so much for joining today. And I look forward to continuing to study Torah together with you and to finding the inner strength, courage, and conviction to have Betochen in HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a real, absolute, and total way. For that is the source of our blessings. And with fortified faith, we will merit the coming of Mashiach, Bimheira, will be Amenu, speedily, and in our days, Amen.